ESPN Radio. Major League Baseball's back, and we're going to play 162 games. The international draft, which was such an issue, found a solution. Once that happened, Major League Baseball sent a proposal back over to the Players Association, and it was voted through. It's great news for all baseball fans. Rank and file, pretty happy, and pretty happy to be flying from all over the country and the world to get to spring training on time. ESPN Radio. Happy opening day to you and yours. You are listening to ESPN Radio on the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, and streaming live on ESPN+. Courtney Cronin and Harry Douglas with you until coverage, which begins at 7.30 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Braves and Reds, the world champion Atlanta Braves hosting Cincinnati Reds on baseball's opening day. And what better time than to tune to the Canty Call-In line right now to welcome in Chipper Jones, baseball Hall of Famer, eight-time All-Star, and Atlanta Braves hitting consultant here to join the show. Chipper, thanks so much for the time. We know that you've got a game ahead tonight, uh, but I wanted to start off here. Coming off this World Series win, as someone who won a title as a player in 1995 and then last year as a coach, how do you start out opening day and lock in the year after? Well, I've only got, first of all, it's great to be with you guys. Thanks for having me on. I apologize for being late with my call in, but um, yeah, it's, I can only go back to 1996. And and obviously when you, when you end the season uh, in ultimate fashion, like, like the Braves did, like we did in 1995, being the last team standing, you feel invincible. Um, You feel like uh, there's no way that we're not going back um, the, the following year, uh, we were lucky enough to go back in 1996, ran into a buzzsaw in the New York Yankees, uh, and didn't get it done. But I can, I can promise you, uh, knowing these guys, um, the way I do, they feel invincible. They're just, they're just young enough and brash enough and cocky enough, uh, to feel invincible. And, um, you know, whenever you have that element going along with tremendous talent, uh, in the clubhouse, um that's a that's a very very dangerous formula for uh um you know for longevity for for you being able to win games expecting to win games uh not just this year but uh the years going forward you talked about going back you lost three guys on your team who played major roles in that world series victory um and championship and freddie freeman solaire and jock peterson but on the flip side of that, you add Matt Olson, you get Ronald Acuna back, you get Marcelo Zunia back. How can those three guys make sure that y'all get back to the World Series? And is there extra pressure on those three guys? Uh, I would imagine that there's probably a little bit of um, a little bit of pressure on Matt Olson. Um, I, I don't think. You know, knowing Acuna and Azuna, they've been chomping at the bit to get back here. You know, I mean, uh, whether it's through injury or or off the field problems, but you know, I mean, Matt Olson replacing Freddie Freeman, he's going to have to answer those questions day in and day out. You know, the whole year, he's just got to keep his head down, nose to the grindstone, and do what he does. You know, I mean, uh, the Atlanta Braves should 
feel very lucky that Alex Anthopoulos is their general manager. We replaced uh, one of the best first basemen in the game with one of the best first basemen in the game. So, um, you know, a lot of people have said that Matt Olson is the, you know, the American League version of Freddie Freeman. Well, now he's in the National League. He's going to have to be the National League Atlanta, you know, version of Freddie Freeman. He will do fine. Um, he's going to love hitting in this ballpark. He is at home. He is from, you know, the, the suburbs of Atlanta. Uh, I can't imagine he would feel any more comfortable, um, you know, playing in a different uniform than Oakland. First time in over a decade that the Atlanta Braves will enter the 2022 season with a new starter at first base, Matt Olson taking over for longtime starter Freddie Freeman. We're talking with Chipper Jones, Atlanta Braves hitting consultant, baseball Hall of Famer here on ESPN Radio. Another name that was a, coming off of a key season for himself last year in 2021, no denying the impact that Adam Duvall had on the Braves last year. He's expected to play another key role for the 2022 outfield picture. Coming off this year that he had in 2021, what should fans expect to see from him this season? Uh, He's kind of our jack-of-all-trades. You can stick him in left field, center field, uh, right field. Doesn't doesn't really matter. I mean, I wouldn't put him in the prototypical center fielder uh, type of mold, but he's going to have to, you know, hold that down until Acuna comes back uh, here in a couple weeks. Um, but the guy's an absolute monster at the plate. Uh, I think if he, if he stays healthy, 30 to 40 homers is, is not beyond the realm of comprehension. A hundred RBI is going to be hitting down in the lineup, hopefully with a lot of guys on base. Um, he's one of those guys that gets better with guys on base than he, than he does without guys on base. So, um, he's a big time player and very, very valuable um, to this ball club, as you saw, you know, uh, Alex Anthopoulos really go out of his way to reacquire Adam Duvall at the trade deadline uh, last year after we let him get away in free agency. Chipper, I got to ask you about a guy who played third base, the same position as you, Austin Riley. He led this team in batting average, home runs, RBIs. He was just phenomenal last year. I thought he got robbed uh, of being a, a candidate for the uh, NL MVP last year but seeing his growth and I remember when he came up and he was hitting home runs and then teams started throwing him off-speed pitches and he couldn't hit an off-speed pitch to save his life but the transition that uh, the way he's transitioned into the player he is today what has been key for him being great for this Braves team um we really didn't talk to him about anything mechanically at the plate it was more uh mental um and and not even really mental it was just basically changing his sights he was a guy who used to live from you know left center field to the left field foul pole um that makes you susceptible to you know breaking balls well-placed breaking balls on the outer half or just just off the outer half so we, we got into spring training last year, and we really just concentrated on changing his sights. Okay, I want you, instead of left field to, you know, the left field foul pole, I want to change you from right center to left center. And I want you to, to focus on right center first. That is going to, number one, allow the ball to travel more because he'll be hitting, you know, thinking hitting the ball the other way. And he'll be able to recognize pitches better. And thus you saw – 
his uh, plate discipline really pick up. Strikeouts went down, walks went up, on-base percentage goes up, OPS goes up, balls are put in play more, and you saw him really flirting with 300, you know, pretty much the whole year. I don't think any of us expected that out of Austin, but it was just a simple mindset that really got him locked in. And, and once he got a feel for what he was trying to do at the plate, um, the kid took off. Pitching is very important, especially when you get to the postseason. The Braves pitching staff, where it came from starters, relief pitching, closing, was phenomenal last year. You have Max Free, Charlie Morton, Ian Anderson, Enoa. You have Will Smith relieving this year. And then you have Kenley Jensen, who you brought over from Los Angeles, the Dodgers to be exact. How do you see this pitching staff uh, shaping up? And is Soroka going to be able to come back anytime this year? It's pretty strong. Um, I think on paper, uh, it's probably a little stronger than it was uh, last year. Obviously, you come in and you add Kenley Jansen to an already pretty good bullpen. Um, you know, that's that's a, that's a pretty big boost. We did lose uh, Jackson uh, to uh, what we think is going to be Tommy John surgery. He was kind of one of our long guys. Um, you know that you know he's very valuable to us. Um, you know, so we'll just have to wait and see how it all pans out. Obviously, health is big with every team and every pitching staff, as you're seeing with the New York Mets. You know, Jacob deGrom's going to miss a month. Now, Scherzer's, you know, a little gimpy, uh, you know, with a, a soft tissue injury. So, uh, you never know. I mean, uh, we we look good, you know, tonight, and then obviously a week from now, uh, have a couple guys down and, and be scrambling. As far as Mike Soroka goes, um, I hope they have him in some kind of saran wrap bubble, uh, you know, until he's ready to start throwing. I mean, to to tear the the uh, Achilles and then just be walking around the clubhouse and tear it again, um, man, it, it, it's very unfortunate. This guy is a top-of-the-rotation stud, you know, and – I think it, at best case scenario, we may be looking at uh, him possibly getting some innings the last month or two of the season. You know, I've heard, you know, best case scenario, maybe the all-star break. But uh, the fact of the matter is this kid hasn't pitched in, in two years, and they are going to be very, very, very careful with him because they know what a, what a valuable commodity he can be if he's pitching and healthy. Just a couple hours away from first pitch down in Atlanta, the world champion Atlanta Braves host the Reds. Be sure to tune in to our opening day coverage, which begins at 7.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app. He is Chipper Jones, Baseball Hall of Famer and Braves hitting consultant, kind enough to spare some time to join Courtney Cronin and Harry Douglas here on ESPN Radio. Chipper, really appreciate it, and best of luck to you in the Braves this season. Thanks, guys. Thank you for having me. Y'all uh, Y'all have a blessed day. You too. Thanks, Take bud. care. Straight ahead, heading back down to Augusta. The Masters is going on, and everyone is talking about Tiger Woods. Are people backing Tiger in Vegas? We'll discuss next here on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. ESPN Radio.
Tiger Woods Day at Augusta is over. He finished one under par, tied for 11th right now on the leaderboard at the 86 Masters. This is ESPN Radio on the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, and streaming live on ESPN+. Plus. Courtney Cronin and Harry Douglas keeping you company for the next couple hours leading up to pregame coverage of Reds Braves over on ESPN Radio and on ESPN2. Let's welcome in now Aaron Dolan, ESPN sports betting analyst, here to chop it up with us about the Masters and a couple other sports betting topics here on ESPN Radio. Aaron, I'm going to start with the Masters. Everyone's talking about Tiger Woods, and I've seen the amount of bets that have been put in in Las Vegas. Uh, A lot of people expecting big things from him. What does Vegas think? Are they backing Tiger Woods? Yes. I mean, they're so excited that Tiger is going to be playing in this, but they're hoping that I'm assuming they're hoping he doesn't play that well, just considering how many people are putting action on Tiger Woods. Adam Pullen, assistant director of trading at Caesar Sportsbook, actually said it was one of the bigger days that he's seen as a bookmaker with all the action that came in on Tiger Woods as soon as it was announced that he'd be playing. I saw a jump from 50 to 1 to 40 to 1, and Woods right now has uh, the most tickets out of any player holding 7%. And then right behind him is Justin Thomas at 6% and Scotty Scheffler at 6% as well. But as for total dollars wagered, that's Justin Thomas. He has uh, 8% of the money right now. He edged out Tiger Woods. So uh, one better actually put 2,500 on Thomas at 16 to one. That's going to be a potential winning of $40,000. But unfortunately, Justin Thomas not looking too good today, but Tiger Woods, I mean, he looks great. It's great to see him out there fist pumping as well. So I'm loving it, and uh, the sports books definitely took a lot of action on him. Take me out to the ball game. Aaron, <laughs> it is opening day. It's a long season ahead of us. What are you seeing in terms of World Series trends? Yeah, uh, keyword there is long season. So the Dodgers right now is a favorite of plus 500, and I thought this was pretty interesting. Eric Bijou, head trader at Caesar Sportsbook for Baseball, said if you've got that ticket in September and October, they're going to be a projected favorite in all of the series. So if you're holding this original ticket right now, Dodgers plus 500, there actually is value on that because the odds are predicted to just keep getting shorter and shorter because they're projected to win 100 games this season. So I thought that was really interesting. A lot of times when you talk about the futures markets and things like that, you want to take the long shots. But really, there is value on the Dodgers and other teams that are you know, projected to be really well right now. In terms of the most action, the Mets have received the most action, which is interesting. They lead in the total numbers of tickets and total dollars wagered. Yankees and Dodgers Um, are right behind. They rank in the top three in each of those categories. And then as for liability, somebody in Las Vegas uh, placed 10K on the Angels at 30 to 1. That would be a potential winnings of $900,000. The Angels are fifth in total dollars wagered to win the World Series, and they're usually a popular team heading into the season. But that's so far where we've seen most action and a big liability for Caesar Sportsbook. But again, like you had mentioned, it's a really long season, so – Proceed with caution. It, it, it is really long. Oh, yeah. It's totally different than betting any other sport. We're talking with Aaron Dolan, ESPN sports betting analyst, joining Harry Douglas and Courtney Cronin here on ESPN Radio. I want to stay with the Mets here for a minute because they're plus 200 to win the NL East. And it's interesting because they just made Max Scherzer the highest paid player in baseball. They signed Starling Marte, Mark Conha, Eduardo Escobar. They traded for Chris Bassett. Like, so they've improved a lot of areas of their roster. But I'm wondering if we should proceed with caution here because they're going to be without Jacob deGrom for quite 
for a little bit of time. He's hurt. Mm-hmm. He's going to miss the first two months of the season. Francisco Lindor didn't have a great first year last year. Um, so, like, what do, what should we realistically expect here? Well, when you think about a player like that not being able to be in for two months, it kind of reminds me of the Padres. Like, they don't have Fernando Tatis for, for maybe two to three months. Like, that is such a huge chunk of time when you think about how many games that these teams play, you know, back-to-back games, these three, four-game series. It's insane. So, I think what I would do whenever you have a player like that that is going to be out a few months, I absolutely proceed with caution. On top of that, the NL East is the most competitive right now in Major League Baseball, so it's an even – tougher situation because you still have the Nationals there. You have the Braves there. The Phillies are expected to be pretty good this season. So for me personally, it's not something I'd be looking to bet into, but always proceed with caution when a star player is going to miss a chunk of time. Of course, we're going to see more injuries, unfortunately, throughout the season. That's just the nature of the beast. But definitely when you're already aware of a situation of player that is out heading into a season, you even want to proceed with more caution when putting money into something. Ayers, let's switch from baseball to the NBA. The regular season is winding down. How do you look at uh, when you're looking to bet basketball for the remainder of the season, anything you're looking for tonight or down the stretch that that, that can catch your eye betting-wise? So (laughs) It's so hard to bet the NBA right now. I'm looking at, like, first quarter, first half, because these teams just end up sitting their stars in the second half. And also in some of these games, you see some big comebacks. So definitely take advantage of live betting. We saw that last night. When the Nets came back and also the Suns came back and covered for betters, which was huge last night. Uh, one thing I had my eye on, I was looking at Boston, Milwaukee. Um, I was also looking at Denver, Memphis as well, just because they're two higher profile games than some of the other ones. Because, again, some of these teams have already thrown the talent. For Denver, Memphis, the one thing I wanted to point out, because usually you don't typically see Memphis at plus uh, points. Right now they're plus four and a half. They were plus five and a half this morning. But without John Morant, the Grizzlies are 7-1 and one straight up. They beat the Nets, Bucks, and Suns. They're 22 straight up without John Morant this season. And on top of that, you know, they have one of the best offenses. And in the last 10 games, they actually have the best defense in the entire league. So they've been absolutely crushing it without John Morant. So to see them with the points against the Denver team, that's 3-7 and seven against the spread in the past 10 games. Maybe you want to look at taking the points there. She's here to make you some money. She is Erin Dolan, ESPN sports betting analyst. Be sure to give her a follow on Twitter at Erin Kate Dolan. Erin, thanks so much for the time. Appreciate it. Yes, thank you, guys. Talk to you soon. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. And now with the no frills and brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Here it is. You could save big when you bundle your home and auto with Progressive. That's it. See, just a good old-fashioned, straightforward ad that I can barely read. See if you could save at 1-800-PROGRESSIVE or Progressive.com. Straight ahead, back into the NFL with a lawsuit. Joining Brian Flores, Steve Wilkes, and Ray Horton are filing a lawsuit against the NFL alleging racism in hiring practices. That's next here on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. ESPN Radio. Two NFL coaches are joining former Dolphins head coach Brian Flores' lawsuit against the NFL alleging racism in hiring practices. This is ESPN Radio on the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, and streaming live over on ESPN+. Plus. He's Harry Douglas. I am Courtney Cronin, and we are presented by Progressive Insurance. So earlier this afternoon, Steve Wilkes, former Arizona head coach for one season in 2018, He currently serves on Matt Rule's staff in Carolina and former NFL assistant coach Ray Horton are standing with Brian Flores in this lawsuit. They have joined the class action suit with their own instances alleging racism and hiring practices in the NFL. 
Um, there's a lot here. There's a lot to unpack. Uh, we've talked about this a l- little bit, Harry, and I kind of want to get your take just on like the overarching sense here that Brian Flores is now his lawsuit's gaining legs. It, it's gaining. It's you know getting some traction here with more names attaching themselves to this lawsuit. And I'm wondering where the NFL goes from here because the Tennessee Titans put out a statement saying that they, you know, deny the allegations that were put forth from Ray Horton, who in 2016 alleged that he had a sham interview with the Tennessee Titans when he interviewed for the head coaching job. That position went to Mike Malarkey. Um, and then with Arizona, that's a team that went 3-13 and in Steve Wilkes' first season with the Cardinals. And then, of course, he gets fired in the offseason. The team hires Cliff Kingsbury from the college ranks. He had no NFL experience. And people are alleging that, you know, there was there was something wrong with his hiring practices. So, you know, where do, where do we go from here? Like, do we feel like this – does this give you more confidence as a former player and as a black man that there's actually going to be any sort of change here with more people attaching themselves to this lawsuit? Well, I'll say this. Um, Change is definitely needed, and I said this a long time ago. Until owners and people in upper management start to put themselves in uncomfortable situations around people that don't look like them on a normal basis, we're going to to continuously get these type of, um, I'll say, allegations for the time being, right? So it's crazy because – when you look at the Titans organization, um, Amy Adams shrunk the owner. It, there's been times where she didn't have to invite me to her owner suite to watch a game. Right. Mm -hmm. And I've been up there with her family and everybody. And then I know coach Malarkey. I'm intact with his family and everyone, but at the end of the day, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah. Right. But this is a situation that has been troublesome in the National Football League for some time. We don't have enough people of color um, leading certain areas on a football field, and you have so many players that that are black and brown that look like me. And I'll be the first to tell you this as well. There are a ton of coaches that I played for that are qualified, and not just coaches but personnel people, that are qualified right now to be an offensive coordinator or a head coach, and there aren't. But you continuously see people – who don't have the experience um, get these jobs or just because of the simple fact they know somebody and they have those relationships. And I'll be the first to tell you, relationships mean everything. Yeah. Right? It mean, They're more valuable than money. And if I was in the position, and it's crazy I'm about to say this, but I've had, I've had so many relationships in the National Football League that if I got an interview, I wouldn't be worried about that because – I know it would be real. Otherwise, they wouldn't even ask me to come in. Mm -hmm. But not everybody may feel like that. And everybody's situation is different. Like Raheem Morris, he he came on uh, ESPN Radio and said one time that he thought every job interview or head coaching interview job that he he was up for or got interviewed for, that it was real. But it might not be the same for Brian Flores. And I mentioned – you mentioned earlier that the Houston Texans, um, they hired Lovey Smith. Yeah. But let's not forget, that was before they, we're talking about Josh McCown getting that job. Yeah. A guy who has never coached at the college level or the NFL level. And I have a, a great amount of respect for Josh McCown because he played the quarterback position. I played with his brother Luke in Atlanta when he was a backup for us. But there are so many people who have, who've been waiting for the opportunity 
to be in situations to to better uh, themselves, to better their family, and to lead a group of men who can lead a group of men, and they have not gotten those opportunities, and people have gotten those opportunities who are not like that. Just look around the NFL. Why do you see these organizations continuously hiring, firing coaches left and right, left and right, left and right, that can't get their, their organization right? It's because they're hiring people that they're comfortable with and not hiring the person that is best for the job. That's what has to stop. Because when you hire the person that is best for the job, there's an opportunity that your organization will be changed for the great. Well, let me ask you this. As a black man, if you were in the situation that Steve Wilkes and Brian Flores and Ray Horton find themselves in with their names attached to this lawsuit, that's a brave thing for them to do knowing, you know, that could be career suicide. Mike Tomlin took a stand, and he's talked about this at owners' meetings, that it was you know, the right thing to do because Brian Flores is a good coach, but he not hired him watch. in Pittsburgh. He said not on his watch in so many words, not on his damn watch. And, and, and that's the right thing to do to be able to not fear retaliation in putting your name on a lawsuit like this in hopes that more people will do it. But you know, my question to you is how would you handle interviewing for NFL jobs with all of this going on right now and, and three African-American head, head uh, coaches, um, some who have been head coaches, some who have been assistants, like now with this lawsuit out there, like how would you handle the job interviewing process knowing that you know this could potentially affect you? Well, Cordy, I'll say this. Uh, uh, a lot of these coaches are, are put in situations that they don't want to be put in. Because a lot of them know they're going into that interview and they 100% not getting the job. But they want, they want to get – that's the only way they can actually get their name out there and other people possibly down the line even considering them. Mm-hmm. Right? I know a guy right now, Thomas Brown, uh, was the running back's coach uh, with, with the Los Angeles Rams, but I think he moved the tight ends. He need to be an offensive coordinator or a head coach in the National Football League within the next two or three years. Yeah. I know that, I know that 100%. The man can coach at a very, very high level. Jim Caldwell should be a head coach. I played for a guy in Terry Rubisky. He was my wide receiver coach for just basically my entire career. He has the credentials to be a head coach. You even heard Leonard Fournette come out and say, hey, there's a lot of head coaching vacancies. Why don't Terry Rubisky get a head coaching job? You heard Champ Bailey in his Hall of Fame speech mention Terry Rubisky and how he needs to be a, a, a head coach. So here's my thing you have all these players that love these coaches and vouch for these coaches, but owners in upper management don't promote them to certain positions because they don't fit the mold that they want them to fit. Instead of just looking at these guys are a leader of men and can drive our football team in a direction that it hasn't gone in a long time or haven't been, hasn't been at all. That blows my mind. It makes no sense to me. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And, the thing here now is that the NFL, or at least these teams, have responded to the allegations that are now attached to this lawsuit from both Steve Wilkes and Ray Horton. The Tennessee Titans, and, and this pertains to Ray Horton, who interviewed in 2016 for the opening that went to Mike Malarkey, um, and he, he alleged that, that was a sham process, and Mike Malarkey spoke on a podcast and actually addressed that, and, and more on that later in the show. But the Titans said in a statement to ESPN issued before the filing of this lawsuit, they disputed Mike Malarkey's recollection of what had happened 
during the interview process. Uh, they didn't make Amy Adams Strunk or any other executives available for comment. They said that, quote, our 2016 head coach search was an open and competitive process during which we conducted in-person interviews with four candidates and followed all NFL rules. The organization was undecided on its next head coach during the process and made its final decision after consideration of all four candidates following the completion of the interviews. And the reason I brought up Mike Malarkey there was because on a podcast that surfaced from 2020, which ESPN was alerted to by Mike Malarkey himself during the filing of all of these lawsuits and, and the um, the reporting that uh, people like Kevin Von Valkenberg ha- has done that, you know, Mike Malarkey went on this podcast and said he was aware that he had already been hired before the team went through the Rooney rule process. So that could potentially be the smoking gun in all of this that blows this thing open because you have to wonder, okay, what evidence do you have to prove that these hiring practices that are not completely fair took place. And for Brian Flores, in his initial lawsuit, it was the Bill Belichick text that apparently Bill Belichick had known that Brian Dable was going to get hired like mm-hmm. on the heels of Brian Flores's interview with the Giants. And so that would make it appear like it was a sham. Um, as it pertains to Steve Wilkes, the Arizona Cardinals also released a statement stating that their process done in 2018 was a competitive one and uh, one that they, you know, they, they back still in, in hiring uh, Cliff Kingsbury following the 2018 season when Steve Wilkes got the, um, his one year to basically turn this program around. It did not happen. Uh, but they also issued a statement. One you know, year addressing, to turn an organization yeah. around. How crazy does that sound? Yeah, it's, uh, it doesn't even make sense. To it me. doesn't. It doesn't. And there's a lot to unpack here. We're going to get to this a little bit later in the show. Uh, but again, Steve Wilkes and Ray Horton are joining Brian Flores' lawsuit against NFL and several teams alleging racism and hiring practice, something that is not going to go away anytime soon. Straight ahead, a Tiger Woods update. And we'll get back to your calls on how to fix Major League Baseball, ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. ESPN Radio. Courtney Cronin and Harry Douglas with you on ESPN Radio. It is opening day, day one of 162 in Major League Baseball. And we are coming off a 99-day lockout. Spring training was a truncated process this year, and opening day was pushed back a week. But baseball wants us to forget about all of that and wants us to spend our money and go to games and act like the sport is at its peak when we know it's not. So we've asked you here on ESPN Radio, how would you fix Major League Baseball if you had the power to do so and maybe you were a bug in Rob Manfred's ear? So we're going to go out to Lamar in California, who's echoing a theme we've heard here on the show uh, throughout the last few hours. Lamar, you're on ESPN Radio. What you got? Yeah, uh, I think the season is actually too long. There's 30 teams in baseball. Figure if you let each team play each other three times, that's two out of three. You know, short the season, uh, the fans will be able to follow their teams more, uh, more clearer, more better than like take for granted. Like let's say, uh, switch stuff like the football, Jacksonville versus Detroit. Nobody wants to see them play four, five times a year. You know what I'm saying nobody wants to see Minnesota and the Diamondbacks play a series together. Nobody cares about the teams. So short the season, I'm saying to where, hey, my team, I like the Dodgers. My cousin, he likes the Astros. Hey, we play the Astros three times in one year, and then we beat the Astros twice, then the fan feels like they have more skin in the game. They get bragging rights to their friends, and they're able to follow the season longer. You just stretch out. You can uh, shorten the season, but just 
uh, alter the games to where you can say, hey, my team plays this team on this day. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely going to watch that game or those games. Yeah, good stuff, Lamar. Appreciate the call. Um, I feel like you could still have rivalries. You can still have games have a meaningful impact on the season if you had half of, you know, 162 games, which I know purists are not going to like. Too many damn games. There's too many, in my opinion. Too many games. Uh, as an analyst, you try to keep up with every every game and what's going on in the series, and it's just too many games. It's too many games for people to be paying and going to see. It's too many games for analysts to be trying to keep up with. It's just too many games. And, and there is a benefit, I guess, in baseball and in the NBA, too, and in, in teams that play long seasons where you get to move on quickly to the next game and, and you know, trends and storylines change at a much higher clip than they do in the NFL, which has 17 games. But you can still do that and have that turnover on a week-to-week basis in baseball if you had less games. It doesn't need to be 100. 162 of them to make that happen. Um, there's yeah, there's a lot there. I feel like it should be an 82 game season, but what do I know? Uh, straight ahead, we're going to go back down to Augusta here from Tiger Woods following his first round, number, one under under 71. ESPN Radio, ESPN app. ESPN Radio. As of right now, I feel like I am going to play. It will bring an unimaginable additional layer of interest to this event. Look, it's been said for years that Tiger doesn't move the needle. He is the needle. We're going places that have never been gone before. There's a guy who almost had to have his leg amputated, and, and now all of a sudden he's going to go out there and try and win the Masters. Now everything is focused on how do I get myself into a position where I'm on that back nine on Sunday with a chance. What would be the most improbable win I could ever imagine? Tiger Woods Day is over at Augusta National following the first round of the Masters. He shot a 71, so he finished one under par, currently in the tie for 11th. More on that in a moment here on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, and streaming live on ESPN Plus. Courtney Cronin and Harry Douglas keeping you company up until the start of Reds Braves over on ESPN2 and ESPN Radio. We were talking about the lawsuit that Brian Flores filed back in January, which now was amended on Thursday to include two other NFL coaches, Ray Horton, a former NFL, longtime NFL assistant, and Steve Wilkes, the former head coach of the Arizona Cardinals, both of those men are attaching their name to this lawsuit. Uh, it's 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 something now that the NFL is obviously taking notice on, and many fans are taking notice of it as well. Let's head out to the Canty call-in line. John in Florida, you're on ESPN Radio. Hey, guys. Uh, great show tonight. And uh, first off, you just hit me with two things here. Uh, short in the season in baseball and basketball. Um, would be great. Um, but back to this minority hiring, there, there are only 32 head coaching positions. That, that's where the issue, issue lies. We need more minorities as offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators, and for them to be taken serious. Um, Byron Leftwich, I, I'm very upset, has a – of course, Washington is the team that I grew up with when I lived in that area. But I jumped on the bandwagon with Jacksonville – when they came into the league. So they're my AFC team. And I am very upset that they didn't hire Byron Luff, which is our head coach. Um, Appreciate the call, John. Um, I think the point that we have to like look at there is that 
putting minority coaches in opportunities to become offensive coordinators and then defensive coordinators, Harry, to where they can make the jump to become to head succeed. coaches. That's that's, that's where this whole thing starts. Like if we're talking right? about this lawsuit, yes. it's like, okay, what do we want to see come out of this? It has to start there with the opportunities for the OC and DC jobs before we even get to talking about head coaching jobs. Well, and that's, that's visibility. The, that's that's it, that's straight up what it is. And I will say that that's one of the reasons why you see a guy like Bruce Arians. You know what? Um, I see a guy in Todd Bowles that I know very, very well. Instead of him taking a job uh, where we don't know if he's going to be set up to succeed, let me step down here in Tampa Bay with the Buccaneers and put him in the position, the best position possible to see to to succeed and thrive. Mm-hmm. That's why that's why I commend him for doing things like that, right? Because yeah. he 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 said on not on his watch, just like Mike Thomas said, not on his watch when it came to Brian Flores. Bruce Arians said not on his watch when it came to Todd Bowles because he know he's a damn good coach. And you know how I know personally, a lot of players tell me how how much they respect Todd Bowles and what he means to them. Ask Tyra Matthew, a guy that a lot of people didn't want to take a chance on coming out of LSU because the whatever he had may have had going on. Who took a shot on him? A guy in Todd Bowles as a defensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. Todd Bowles. He vouched for him. Patrick Peterson vouched for him and got him there in Arizona. So yeah. I it, mean, part of this is in Byron Leftwich, he didn't want to take that Jacksonville job because, number one, he didn't want Trent, Trent Baalke to be Yeah, a he wanted general, his general manager, yes. and I think that that's the problem here all the way around that someone who is overqualified for that job in that ridiculously dumb franchise down in Jacksonville, I'm calling it like I see it, they couldn't see the forest through the trees here that you just let a great candidate walk away because you were so stubborn in keeping someone like Trent Baalke who is antiquated in its practices. I mean, I'm, I'm looking to try to find any cornerbacks in the third round who have ACL injuries because I'm going to go ahead and already project them to Jacksonville because that's his draft strategy. Um, but I digress here. I think, I mean, I'm not saying a single thing about Doug Peterson not being qualified for that job, but the way that Jacksonville botched that process because they were somehow so loyal to wanting to keep Trent Baalke and not letting someone like Byron Lefwich pick his guy or woman, uh, but it was a guy as as a general manager, which is absolutely absurd, and uh, they definitely fumbled the bag on that one, as many other franchises have, But but it's crazy, though, because a guy like Byron Lefwich, who was drafted by the Jacksonville Jaguars, it made too much sense. That's the yes. problem here, Harry. Like when things make too much sense in the NFL, you can expect franchises and the entire league to go ahead and screw it up somehow because they just can't get out of their own way, which we are certainly seeing here with a lawsuit that came out from Brian Flores in January and now is you know continuing to, to garner legs here with Steve Wilkes and Ray Horton uh, joining the efforts of the former Dolphins head coach in alleging racism in hiring practices throughout the NFL. You're listening to ESPN Radio on the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, and over on ESPN Plus. A quote here from Steve Wilkes on why he decided to file uh, as part of this action. He said, when quote, when Coach Flores filed this action, I knew I owed it to myself and all black NFL coaches and aspiring coaches to stand with him. This lawsuit has shed further important light on a problem that we all know exists, but too few are willing to confront. We'll see if more uh, more NFL coaches, uh, African-American coaches, will be willing to join the ranks here on this lawsuit. Straight ahead, back into Major League Baseball on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app.